Welcome and thanks for listening. This is your Nebraska Judicial Branch. Greetings and thank you again for joining us. I am your host, Gene Cotter. Chief Justice Hevekin has declared the week of March 21st as trial court week in Nebraska. Today, we are joined by Lancaster County Clerk of the District Court, Troy Hawk, and District 9 Hall County Clerk Magistrate, Sarah Fowler. Thank you for joining us. Thanks Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. So one of the things we try to do with this podcast is kind of educate people around exactly what goes on in various areas across the branch. The purpose today is kind of twofold, is I want to accomplish that. I want to let people know the difference between what goes on in district court and county court. But most importantly, and in honor of trial court appreciation week, I want to find a way to celebrate the staff of the district courts and the county courts across the state. So Sarah, if you would, why don't you start and just talk a little bit about the role of a clerk magistrate and the role of county court staff. Sure. So a clerk magistrate basically is in charge of the staff, all the records clerks, accounting clerks, courtroom clerks, that kind of stuff. We also do have limited judicial authority. So if the judges are gone for any reason, we can do some court, hold some court for the judges. Uh, I've occasionally done prisoners for the judges when they're gone, um, that kind of stuff. As far as the courts, what we handle is traffic, criminal, juvenile, civil, small claims, guardianship, and probate cases seems like a lot. (laughs) It does seem like a lot, and it takes a lot of staff to handle those duties, right? It does. I think I have 13 on staff right now. So a couple things I want to clarify before we move on. When you say limited judicial authority, one Mm -hmm. of the things I know a clerk magistrate can do is perform a wedding, for example. And when you talked about handling prisoners... I'm assuming what you're saying is like the setting of bond, those type of things in at least certain cases. Is that accurate? Yes, that's correct. Finding probable cause to hold them or setting a bond. Mm -hmm. Okay. Any other thing that would apply to that limited judicial authority? That's all I handle in my court. Other courts may do things differently, but that's what I handle is the weddings and and I do swear in debtors exams. So Troy, talk about the difference between what your responsibilities are in the district court as opposed to what Sarah just talked about in the county court. I think in the entire judiciary, we're really the only entity that's county employees versus state employees. Uh, Probation, the county court clerks, the judges obviously themselves are all working for the state and employed by the state and we're, we're county. So that creates an interesting dynamic sometimes. But in general, I say that I have four major functions as the clerk of the district court. The first of those is to keep the records and the money for the district court. I'm one of three clerks in the state that also has a separate juvenile court that we keep the records for. I believe Sarah uh, keeps the records for her juvenile court and her, her county court judges sit as juvenile judges, whereas in Lancaster, Sarpy, and Douglas County, we have a separate juvenile court. So I keep the records for our juvenile court as well. I'm also the jury commissioner for the county, so we summons all of the jurors for, for both district and county court. And we also keep the records for the mental health board, which is a board appointed by the judges to hear uh, cases where the county attorney believes somebody may be a danger to themselves or others. We don't get involved with that board other than we keep the records for the board. Uh, re- we record those boards, so if there's ever an appeal taken, we have the recordings to make the transcripts from. So my office is about 26 people, including myself, Then we keep busy. 
I actually learned something new today. When you talked about being the jury commissioner for both the county and the district court, is that a statewide function? Like even in Hall County, Sarah, the clerk of the district court in Hall County serves as the jury commissioner? Yeah, they do. At the same time, I'm assuming that, uh, for example, I've actually had the opportunity to serve on jury duty both in the district and county court in Lancaster County. You actually would preside over, Sarah, uh, since nobody can see who I'm actually (laughs) talking to here. Sarah, you would actually... I don't know if preside over is the right word, but if there were jury selection in a county court trial, the clerk of the district court would help develop and call the jury pool, but then somebody from your office, I assume, would actually help with jury selection for a county court case. Is that accurate? So for jury, the jury commissioner or the clerk of the district court, they're the same person in our county too. She pulls the selection. She gives us our jury pool. And then from there, the district, when they come in for the trial, the clerk of the district court checks in all of the jurors, but then the county court takes over after that. And we go with our vordire. And in a county court jury trial, there's six jurors. And in a district court jury, there's 12 jurors with a couple of alternates in both places, correct? Correct. That's correct. And Troy, Sarah went through the litany of different cases, traffic and misdemeanors and and probate and those types of things uh, that the county court deals. What kind of cases are handled in district court? You know, I'll talk first about criminal cases. I always like to joke that county court gets the quantity and we get the quality in district court. Uh, Every criminal case starts in county court, and if it's a felony, it will eventually bind over is what it's called into district court. So if, if you're looking at a misdemeanor, so everything from, you know, the, the traffic tickets to misdemeanors, you know, a, a dog at large or a couch on the porch or, uh, you know, a smaller type of theft that's a misdemeanor will all happen in county court. It's the felonies that bind over to district court. So they get a lot more volume than we do, I think, in the county court. So I say they get the quantity, but we get the felonies. So they're, they're bigger cases. They usually take a little more a time to, to get through, and in the end, we have some heavier sentences coming out of those. So that's our criminal cases. Our civil cases, we handle everything from protection orders to divorces, paternity suits, medical malpractice, personal injury, uh, substitutions of collateral when somebody's trying to clear a lien on a house. Uh, it really runs a wide gamut on the civil side. And then we also have our juvenile cases, which we have both the 3A cases, which are abuse and neglect cases, and the um, law violations where it's juvenile is out breaking the law. So those are the the major types of cases we we handle. And it's always been kind of interesting to me that, like you said, in Sarpy, Lancaster, and Douglas County, there are separate juvenile courts. Technically, all juvenile courts are part of a district court function, yet outside of those three counties, it's county judges that preside over most juvenile court proceedings. No work gets done in a vacuum. Troy, you talked about county courts having the quantity, but that doesn't mean you don't have work to do in the district courts. Do you know approximately how many filings you deal with in Lancaster County annually? I know that we handle generally 12,000 cases that are either new or reopened cases between all three types of of cases, criminal, civil, juvenile. We typically handle between 10 and 12,000 cases a year. I would guess, and this is, uh, I didn't look before I came over, but back of the hand, probably about just under 1,000 criminal cases, 3,000 civil cases, and, you know, 1,000 to 1,500 juvenile. And if, if my math didn't add up there, then then I would guess, well, you know, it's, it's um, a lot of cases get reopened. So we may have a divorce case that's five years old and it gets reopened because of custody issues or something like that. So probably... Three to 4,000 civil cases, 1,500 criminal cases, maybe up to 2,000. And, uh, 
and a thousand or so juvenile cases. It would be my guess, but uh, I might have to go back and look that up for sure. So you're not looking for things to do. There's there's plenty of work. We're plenty. We're, we're plenty busy. Gotcha, Sarah. Same question for you. Do you know approximately how many? filings that you deal with in Hall County annually? Sure. Just for new cases, we run anywhere from about 15,000 to 17,000 cases altogether between all of the divisions that we have. Um, we run about 4,500 to 5,000 criminal cases, about seven or 800 juvenile cases. Civil cases, we're probably at 5,000. And then the rest is probate and traffic. Lots of traffic. Yeah. <laughs> well, and Troy talked earlier about there are certain cases that are split. For example, first, second, and non-aggravated third offense drunk drive cases are in the county court, but an aggravated third offense, fourth offense, or beyond are all in the district court. So I guess the point behind me mentioning that is, is despite the differentiation in the duties, we do function as one system, and we're kind of dependent and incumbent upon each other that an accurate statement, Troy? You, you know, it, it is. And, and something else I think we both forgot to talk about is protection orders. Uh, when somebody comes in and files a protection order, they can choose whether they want a district court judge or a county court judge to hear that case. So they come and file it in my office, but if they ask for a county court judge to hear that case, we turn that file over to the county court. The county court judge hears it, makes the decision, sets any hearings if they need to, and then gives me the file back. So it goes into my into my system on justice, our docket management program. So it's my case in the sense that it counts on my numbers, but um, Sarah's judges may have heard it or the county court judges may have heard it. You talked about your math. According to my math, if you're doing 12,000 approximately and Sarah, you're doing 15,000, I guess the good news is, is that we have two of the top probably four jurisdictions in the state represented here. So not every county is dealing with that kind of case. However, regardless of where you are, you can't do it by yourself. There's no way Sarah Fowler could deal with 15,000 cases or Troy Hawk, 12,000. Talk a little bit about, Sarah, if you would, just the work of the staff of the county courts. Sure. So we have a person in every division. We have somebody who mans our criminal desk, somebody who mans our traffic desk, somebody who mans our juvenile desk. Then we have an assistant clerk, too, who does all the accounting and financials for our court. And then we actually have two people who run our front counter. And what they do is they help everybody who comes down from court explain what the docket sheet says, um, what the judge went over with them in court, does time pay, sets that up for them, gives them time to pay their fines or costs, or takes their payment. Um, We also have civil small claims. We have two to three people we're currently cross-training right now. And then we have one person specifically who runs the probate guardianship division. And then we have the two courtroom clerks who work directly with the judges in the courtroom. Troy, the work that your staff and Sarah's staff and the staff across the branch has done has been remarkable because statutorily, uh, by way of the Constitution, we couldn't just close up shop and say, come back when the pandemic's over. We've had to find ways to adapt. I remember having conversations with you about can we have this jury trial in this church's auditorium or in this ballroom at this hotel? And Sarah, I'm sure you ran into the same thing. But again, if you would, just talk about the adaptability of the courts and the staff that you have working for you that have helped make those things happen. You know, I think uh, we kind of had to come at this from two different approaches. I think 
the judges and the courtrooms were a lot easier to take some things onto Zoom and do via Zoom. Of course, not everything. There were there were certain things you still can't do by Zoom. Uh, but I know the judges could do a lot of hearings via Zoom, and, and they got set up to do that. The clerk's office still had to remain open. We had to have our front doors open every day because people still needed to come in and file protection orders. People were still trying to get divorced. People needed to come in and pay on on their uh, the fines that they owed. So we had to keep our doors open. I think uh, my staff in particular, we split ourselves into two teams and we, we alternated days coming in so that if, if one, you know, team got uh, infected with COVID, we could shut that team down and still have the other team come in and work. That was tough to do because we still have, even though we're moving now towards more and more electronic filings, there's still a huge amount of paper that flows through the courts. And you can't flow that paper through your house. You know, you have to be in the office to do that. So that was a struggle. I think we got by it. I will say that I never want to have to go back to Team A and Team B again. Uh, We were able to do it, but it was a struggle. and, And my staff did an incredibly good job of getting through that. But it certainly was not ideal to be trying to do it that way. When you talk about something that just clicked in my head when you were discussing paper versus electronic filing, you know, there's a lot of self-represented litigants in every court, and they're not going to have the electronic capabilities to do things like e-file, and they probably need to be walked through a lot of, this is a form you need, this is how it needs to be filled out, this is the information on it. So that, that staff is critical in making those things happen. When I talk about people such as self-represented litigants, I know that there's, there's a lot of opportunity for people to walk into the counter and ask questions around interpretation of statute or what they should do in certain situations. Um, just to be clear, that is something that nobody in any of, whether it be the probation office, whether it be in a district court or a county court, et cetera, we're, we're not allowed to give legal advice, right, Troy? Oh, absolutely. And that, that quite honestly, is, is maybe one of the largest frustrations that we have for people coming into our office, is people want, want to come in, and, and, you know, I think a large part of government, they expect the government folks to be able to help them. So they'll come in and say, I need to figure out how to get child support for my child. And we can't give them legal advice. We can give them resources to go look at, uh, but we can't tell them what they need to do. We can say there are forms on the Supreme Court's website. You go download those, and then you can come back and file them. But I think that's a real struggle for a lot of folks because they don't understand what they're supposed to do. And it sounds like we're telling them, uh, I just don't want to help you when they're standing at our at our front counter. And, and something I, I try and tell folks when they start to get frustrated is, well, would you like me to help the other side of, of your of, of your lawsuit? win their case. And they look at me and they go, well, no. And I said, well, I can't do that for you either. And that seems to get a lot of them to understand where I'm coming from. But still, you know, you, you have people and, and let's face it, by the time people are standing in my front lobby, they're not having a very good day. And they're frustrated. They don't know what to do. They're looking for help. And we're standing there in front of them. And probably a lot of times we know the answer, but we can't tell them. And that's hard for them to hear. It's hard for us to say. But, but I think that's a struggle that, that I think if a lot of people understood a lot better, it would make things go easier in the ju- judicial system. Um, and, but, you know, I know the Supreme Court has put a lot of self-help information out there. You've got Legal Aid of Nebraska. There are resources out there that are there for people if they just know to go look for them. That's fascinating information. 
So, Sarah, we've talked a lot about the things that are done, both at the district court level and the county court level. Plenty of work to be done. We need people to do that. In a couple sentences or more, whatever time you need, why should I want, why, what makes the judicial branch and the county court and or the district court a great place to work? In my office, we've really created a family atmosphere. We have strived to make sure that all of our employees are happy. We get along great. It's a fun place to work. We get a lot of support from the administrative office. Um, you know, our sick and vacation and all that. It's just, it's a really great place to work. So, you know, we're currently hiring in Hall County. So, uh, you know, going through a lot of applications and just making sure that we have the right team. So I wish I could say there weren't a lot of places that we're hiring. Troy's probably hiring. They're hiring all over the place, which is exactly why I asked that question. Troy, back to you, I think maybe to bring us home. Uh, It's very interesting for those of you that are regular listeners of the podcast. We've celebrated, uh, there's an annual probation parole and community supervision week. There's an annual problem solving court recognition week. When we went out and tried to do some research around when is trial court week, there is no such thing any place. Thank you to the chief justice for saying, we're going to change that. Troy, talk a little bit about, if you would, why the staff of the county court, the district court, the separate juvenile courts of the state of Nebraska, including yourselves, should be recognized for the work that you do. Well, I think it all starts, I mean, you look at the entire judiciary, it starts in the trial courts. People don't go on to probation without having gone through a trial court. They don't go to prison. They don't go to jail without going through the trial courts, at least sentenced to jail. I think it's it's nice to get the recognition to say, hey, this is where it all starts. You know, probation is a very important part of, of the judiciary. Um, all the other things are great, but the trial courts are kind of where the rubber meets the road. They're the ones there day in and day out starting this whole process, making sure that everything from the initial charging documents are filed in the case to the sentencing is done correctly. So, you know, the, the, the jail and the prison know how long to keep this person incarcerated. Uh, the probation knows what the, what the requirements are for probation. I think it's just nice to recognize the hard work that the folks at the trial courts do day in and day out to make everything else work right. It kind of becomes one of those things where the behind-the-scenes people never get the recognition or the acclamation that they really deserve, and there is no better example of that than the county and district court employees, the court reporters, uh, all of the all of the frontline staff making the trial court go. Sarah Fowler, Troy Hawk, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Gene. Thanks, Gene. This has been another episode of Your Nebraska Judicial Branch. Please remember to subscribe, like, and review us on your favorite podcast platform.